RadioInfluence.com. Welcome to another edition of the Real Animals Podcast, always presented by my good friends at Contender Boats. Super excited today, so I'm going to give you a little background here before I introduce today's guest. So he is the co-host of Saltwater Experience. He is a hunter. He is a fitness guru, an extremely talented entrepreneur, 17 seasons of Saltwater Experience, 14 seasons producing Into the Blue, 11 seasons, if I have all these numbers correct, of Sweetwater, which is a phenomenal freshwater show that's aired here for years. Tom Rowland is my guest. Tom, how are you today? Man, I'm doing great, Mike. I don't have me. I got it, dude. I got to tell you, I mean, you know, I'm to that point, I'm to that age now where I got to a point in my life where I sat back and I thought, man, you know, 21 years on the radio and 16 years on TV and I got a handful of tournament wins, you know, just, you start to feel like you accomplish things and you run into someone in your life and, and in this case, it happened to be you and I thought, I have not really done a whole lot. You have been a very busy, a very busy man, Tom Rowland. You are uh, well accomplished here. A very, very impressive resume, my friend. Well, I appreciate that. I wouldn't tell yourself short. You've, you've, done, uh, you've done great yourself. And um, I don't know. I just, I stay busy. I try to stay busy. I and, guess so. Um, you know, been very fortunate <laughs> along the way as well. Well, I think that happens to all of us. There's a little bit of uh, the touch of the good Lord, some blessing that falls on all of us here if uh, if things go our way. So, so let's let's start this. Normally, I I want to dig into to who Tom Rowland is and how Tom Rowland becomes Captain Tom Rowland. I mean, I know you started your your fly fishing business out west, I believe, and then it moves to the Keys. and And take us through how. Tom Rowland gets to become Captain Tom Rowland and, and the co-host of Saltwater Experience and all these great adventures you've been on. Sure. It's a, it's a long story, but I'll try to make it as short as possible. I, um, when I was in college, I had an opportunity to go to Yellowstone National Park and work there for the summer. And that one summer pretty much changed the trajectory of my life from, from then on. And, um, I knew, I didn't know exactly how I was going to do it, but I knew that I was going to live my life kind of in that way from that point forward. The the following summer, I thought I was going to go to Alaska. It was probably a very poor idea. I didn't know anyone there. I didn't have a job, didn't have a car, but I was pretty determined. I could have very easily ended up like, uh, like, um, into the wild, you know, the kid from into the wild, <laughs> right. I, I could, that, that, that could have been me very easily. I mean, I was adventurous. I just wanted to see it all and do it all. I had I naive, you know? So anyway, my dad saw that that might not be the best opportunity. So I got a letter from him one, one day that had nothing but a trifold yellow piece of paper, his signature kind of thing. He carried a legal pad with him all the time. And, uh, in the middle of the paper was just scotch taped this little ad that said Western rivers professional guide school. And in his signature way, he just had his, his pen 
and said, would you rather do this instead of Alaska? And it was his way of supporting me, but also, you know, kind of nudging me in a fatherly way of a little guidance. Last idea isn't so great. Right. So right. this looked like a little more structure. He had no idea what was going to happen, you know, by, by sending me to that school. But I went to that school and I was definitely the, the least qualified, the least um, experienced, but possibly the most enthusiastic of anyone there. And at the end of the school, um, I got an opportunity to, to work for Joe Bressler in Wyoming. And he and his father, Vern Bressler, were uh, multiple generation outfitters that had, uh, that really did it right. And they, they paid attention to the details and I learned how to guide from them and learned the value of, um, the whole experience and entertainment as a, as a guide. And, and, you know, um, just more, it, it was just more than catching fish, right. more than taking somebody fishing. Sure. Like you're, you're an entertainer. You're, this is, this is, uh, someone's, you know, vacation that they've spent a lot of time and effort planning and it's really, really important to them. And they just instilled that right away that what you're doing, you're, you're a lifeguard, you're a, uh, you're a, a counselor, marriage counselor at times, you're a instructor, you're a geologist, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a bird watcher, you're everything. You're, you're everything on this trip and you need to start to learn as much as you can about all these other things because there's going to be plenty of days where fishing isn't that good, but you can still have a great trip by teaching your, your clients something and being an entertainer and making them a beautiful lunch and, you know, the whole, the whole gig. And so I really was very fortunate to learn the, the art of guiding from, from them. I wanted to fish year round and thought at first that that was going to be uh, a trout kind of thing. So looking at Argentina, Patagonia, places like that where you could trout fish year round. And boy, I just wasn't finding many opportunities, but I did find an opportunity at the Southern Cross Club in Little Cayman that um, it was interesting because the people that owned the Jackson Hole newspaper also owned the Southern Cross Club. And there was a history of Jackson Hole trout guides going down to Little Cayman and working there seasonally. And so my boss, Joe, he said, well, if you want to do that, I can definitely get you hooked up with that. So I went down there, looked at it, with my girlfriend, who's now my wife at the time, and we were like, uh, I don't know if this is going to be good for us. It's a very small island, very, very limited, um, great opportunity, but I just didn't think that it was going to be great for us. And um, on the way back, I stopped in Key West, visited one of my friends there, Simon Becker, and uh, I'm like, man, what is wrong with this? Like, this place is <laughs> amazing. Like, <laughs> why wouldn't, why have I never had anyone tell me that this is an option, you know, and it, it there, there weren't very many fishing guides in Key West when I showed up there. I think there are 18 flat guides and, um, certainly quite a bit different today, yeah, no but, doubt. uh, 
that's how I got my start in Key West um, with Michael Pollock and and uh, Simon Becker and Jeffrey Cardness. Those guys all, M- Marshall Cutchin, they all helped me um, to to get a start there, and um, that's that's how it's happened really for for the Key West connection there, and eventually just kind of gave up the West and uh, as it was time to get married um, because the West was about a hundred back then, you know, you were lucky to get a hundred days of guiding um, and you're splitting that money with, with an outfitter and it just wasn't, it was very, it was going to be very difficult to make a living like that. So most of the professional fishing guides that I knew in Jackson in the winter, they, they were carpenters or they pound, you know, they were construction workers or they, uh, were ski instructors or maybe even hunting guides, uh, old snowmobile guide. That was another thing that I had an opportunity to be snowmobile guide. Whew. So I didn't really <laughs> like the cold that much. Right. So I went as far South as I could possibly get, which was Key West and, uh, made my, made my career there. Well, and then how do you, how do you, so, so obviously, and, and we're going to dive into this in a, in a minute into the, the crazy list of tournament wins and, and all your accomplishments there in the keys. How does, how did you, how does it come that you end up with rich Tudor and you, you get this, this idea, how does the whole saltwater experience thing start? Well, um, you know, we have a, we have a, uh, a series of tournaments in the Florida Keys called the Red Bone Tournaments. Right. And the Red Bone Tournaments are tournaments that you, you do. It's a charity tournament. And um, so there's a charity aspect. You're certainly doing it for the charity. It's cystic fibrosis is the charity. Um, and at one point, these tournaments were a really big deal. And they were also, while, while you're supporting cystic fibrosis, they're also a real good way to, to make your mark. Um, in the keys they sure. were even though there was no money involved they were highly competitive and even though guides couldn't fish in it you could you pair yourself with a certain angler that was very serious about winning these tournaments and you could uh, you could you could make a name for yourself and so it I, I didn't enter the tournaments right away in fact I didn't think that I had any business, even considering a tournament for many years, uh, down there. And when I showed up in Key West, I was the least experienced again, the least experienced, the, the, the worst one there, no doubt about it. And I was around people whose dads were guides and they were guides and they had grown up in the keys. And I just really felt like I didn't know anything. And so I put my head down and just started just working and, um, you know, I was learning things, mostly I was learning things that were a little different really when I look back on it, because I really didn't want to get anybody's way. I didn't want to, I didn't want to fish the, the real, um, popular spots. I didn't even want to go where any other boats were. So if I saw another boat over there, I'd make a mental note of it. Like there's two boats fishing over there. It must be a good spot. I'll check that out one day, but not today because right. I don't feel like I'm ready. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'd go check out these other spots where I never saw a boat. And there, most of the time, there was a really good reason for that. There weren't any fish there. <laughs> but occasionally, you'd find a spot, and there'd be a couple fish. 
And then I just started, you know, collecting these spots where you could, I could go and there'd just be a couple fish here or there. Uh, you know, I knew it wasn't as good as, as these other places, but I just kept doing that, just trying to stay out of everybody's way and, and just kind of do my own thing. And, and really I thought, well, I'm fishing these subpar spots, you know, but later I, that was, that was my, my strongest thing. Like when the, when the weather would go bad or when, when everybody's having a hard time finding fish, I would go back to those first spots I would find. And I'm like, well, maybe there'd be one here today. And sure enough, man, there'd be just like one, one or two fish there. Just like when I found it, it was, those spots were never great, but boy, they could make a day. Sure. And I had a whole book of those because I was just trying to stay out of everybody's way. I didn't realize what I was doing. And what I was doing is I was finding these obscure spots and then trying to repeat that and then finding a pattern and then figuring a few things out. And then I got enough confidence to start fishing the popular spots. Right. And, and now you're, now you're really catching fish like, like everybody else. Like when it's good, everybody's catching them in sure. the good spots. Right. But then when it's bad, I felt like I had all this other stuff that I could go to. So I don't know, the day came and I, I decided I was going to maybe try one of those tournaments. And so the first tournament I ever tried was, um, the, the Key West slam tournament. And before that was the, the super fly. So it was a one day fly fishing tournament before the, uh, the, the, the main tournament and I fished that with Jeffrey Cardenas. And, and we actually, um, came to the scoreboard and they said, okay, well, you guys won. Great. <laughs> and then this other guy, he says, well, I, I, I don't know. Look at the rules. And he, he pointed out some kind of obscure little rule there. It wasn't that obscure, but it was a way that the, the points were tallied, right? So if you caught a permit, a bonefish, and a tarpon, which we did on that first tournament on fly, and that was great. But if you caught if you had more points than that, so with that, you might have 600 points. But somebody else scored 700 points, but they didn't have a slam. But the way the rules were written, they won. And, boy, we got that trophy taken right out of our hand on that first one and given to this other guy. And that was a big eye-opener right there. It was like, okay, well, maybe you caught more fish or better fish or whatever, but... Man, you got to pay attention to the rules. Yeah, like, details. There's strategy to this. There's strategy. There's that guy knew the strategy. Maybe he could have gone out there slam, but he chose not to, and he he went for the points. And it turns out that he won because he knew the rules better, and right. he, you know, he 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 strategized so that he would win. And I said, Man, I'll never let that happen again. So that's when I started studying the the rules and like really making sure that, you know, it's one thing to, to go out there and have a plan and execute that plan and do it right. But if you're, if that's not going to be the way that you win, you can still execute your plan. You can still go out there and do everything exactly like you thought you were going to still not win, but, but you're not winning. Right. right? It'd be like going out there and if, in a redfish term or something, if, if you thought, well, I'm going to go out there and catch the most fish, but, you don't win by catching the most fish. You win by catching the two heaviest 27 inches. Right. Right. Yep. And then you're like, Oh, well I caught 3000 fish today. Seems like I ought to win the tournament. Nope. 
that's not the rules. That's not what you're after, you know. Yeah, so roll only three you can only let that happen a couple of times. But anyway, so I, I got more and more interested in those Redbone tournaments and started fishing them. I had a, a client named Cal Blumberg who is a really exceptional fisherman in the Florida Keys, and we started fishing those tournaments together. And man, there was just this other guy that we were always competing against, and um, he was he was tough to beat. And uh, that was Rich. And there were plenty of others that were tough to beat as well, but, but he was about my age, and we were, we were the younger ones. And, and um, you know, I, I, I found out about the, the redfish tournaments that were happening. And I thought, man, I think that would be pretty neat to, to do those. And I really wanted to do them because I was trying to figure out the sponsorship world. And I was trying to figure out, you know, why it was so difficult to get sponsorship for, for me as a fishing guide that was winning these tournaments in the Florida Keys and doing well in my charter business and everything. But, charter, but, but sponsorship was just not coming my way. I just I didn't know how it worked. And so somebody told me that, you know, the Watts brothers and all these other guys were getting sponsorship by doing the Redfish tournament. So that was really the, the first idea like well maybe you go and figure that out and you know maybe we could maybe we could figure out this sponsorship game well it's a two-person tournament team as you know we fished against you and um uh i had to find a partner so looked around started talking to a few different people and um ended up fishing with rich one day and uh you know we were very reluctant to fish with one another because we were competing against one another so much in the in the Redbone tournaments. But one day, one day he came down to Key West. I took him out to the Marquesas, and uh, we fished together, talked about it, and he was all in, man. He was like, "Okay, I see what we do. We go fish these tournaments like bass fishermen, and uh, yeah, let's do it." And so that's how it started, and and, and we did we did you know pretty well. We got on Team Maverick right away. And um, fishing, fishing on that team with Rick Murphy and Andrew Bostic and um, a few other teams, the Houston's and um, and us, and and that's how that thing got started. And the way that Saltwater Experience got started is we fished those tournaments for a while, and then we finished one in Louisiana. And at the time, it was a very difficult time for me to be fishing those tournaments because I had two little babies at home. And I was having to leave those, you know, leave my family, which was really hard. And Rich didn't have a family at that time. So he didn't quite understand. But Hurricane Charlie came over uh, Key West when I was stuck in Louisiana fishing this tournament. And my wife had to go to the fish house in Key West with our friends and, and hole up there to survive this hurricane. And, man that was a feeling that I hope I never have again. And I just told Rich, man, I'm done with these tournaments. I'll never do this again. And we need to leave immediately and go home. And he's like, well, you know, I mean, if we leave right now, we're not going to get home that much faster. Why don't we just fish all day tomorrow and then we'll drive home. And I was like, okay. So I reluctantly agreed to that. We fished threw the boat on the trailer. I drove in my tournament Jersey, probably, past Orlando and uh, before we even 
stopped to, you know, to do anything. It was dead silence in the car. And, uh, he finally was asking, he was like, so if you're not going to do this, like what, what, what can we do? Like, seems like we're doing pretty good with this thing. I don't know, man. I guess we could do a TV show. What do you know about doing a TV show? <laughs> I don't really know anything about doing a TV show, but I had just done the uh, the Great Outdoor Games that year and ended up winning the Great Outdoor Games, which was this fly fishing competition on uh, ESPN. And it was the first year, and it was probably the, the I don't know. It had good viewership. It was was kind of, two, they were trying to make it a big deal. That kind was the like, one. Was that the one? In, two, that was in two thousand, right? Because that is that where you yeah, had the hundred. The 131 foot fly cast? No, no, that was in a different, that was in a different thing. Okay. Um, but it was that same year. Uh, I was doing all these other, um, fly shows. That was at one of these international sportsman's exposition, uh, deals that was out. In, and, you know, it's true what they say about Denver. Like you can hit a baseball yeah. further in Denver <laughs> than anywhere else, where you can also throw a fly rod further than you can anywhere else, um, for the, with the altitude. But that's where, it, that's where that happened. But this, this was, uh, you know, um, this was a different kind of competition. It was a made-for-TV competition. They had anglers from all over the world there, but not very many of them. Maybe maybe about a dozen of us, and um, was, they were selected. You know, so you got the invitation to be there, and uh, and then they let us have a, a competition. It was ha- half fly casting and half uh, fishing. And the fly casting, you know, based on your finish in the fly casting, you got to pick your your spot on the river, which was a big advantage. And so I happened to do well in the fly casting and was able to pick one of the top spots, ended up catching the biggest fish, winning that. And there was this angle there that uh, this, this kid from Key West had won this, you know, trout fishing competition on TV. And so I, I just started thinking, man, when I get home, the phone's going to ring off the hook for this. It's going to be so great. This is going to be the the way I'm going to make my guide career and things are going to be fantastic. Well, phone never rang. Not once. (laughs) Nobody cared. So (laughs) that was was pretty humbling. Like, dang, I thought, you know, like this is it, that that wasn't even any part of it. Like I had to call people. And so I somehow before the internet and everything else, I don't even know how I did this, but I would find, you know, somebody to talk to at one of these TV shows. So, you know, fly fish in America or, you know, one of John Barrett's shows or, or, uh, Shaw Grigsby's show or, um, any of these TV shows that were on, on the air. And I would, uh, I'd, I'd just say, Hey, listen, this is something that just happened. Uh, there's a Key West kid that won this, this trout competition. And, and, uh, maybe you guys would like to come down here and go tarpon fishing with me or something. And we shoot a show and, that's the, that's kind of the storyline. And they were like, that's a great idea. Yeah, let's do it. And so I had a bunch of shows come down. I probably did 30 different shows as a guest on their shows. And so that's all I knew about TV. Right. That I'd seen it be done. Right. Didn't really look that hard, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Again, very naive and enthusiastic. Um, and so Rich was like, you, you think we could do a TV show? I was like, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's not that hard. And, you know, having good mentors and friends in your life is a, is a great thing. So I called Shaw Grigby and I said, Shaw, we're thinking about doing a, doing a show. He said, Oh man, 
You'd be great at it. You'd, you'd, you'd do great. In fact, I'll let you borrow my crew to film a pilot. And I said, what, what's a pilot? <laughs> he said, well, that's what you're going to have to do to, to get this thing off the ground. You're going to have to film a show. Then you're going to take it around and show it to the people and get sponsors and everything. I mean, that we were that green. We, we didn't even know what any of this was called. We didn't, didn't know anything. I've been there. Film this show. Yep. Take it to iCast. We were told by pretty much everybody that saw it, it wasn't good enough, and we should go back to the drawing board. Um, but somehow we got a few people interested, and, and that's that was the birth of Saltwater Experience. And then, then after, after we filmed that pilot, and we said, okay, well, we're going to need to really uh, find somebody that can, can make a great show for us. And, and we did find that person. And uh, we've had that same relationship with that same producer um, since then. And he's still still producing the show. So, that's great. Um, that's that's that was how I got started, man. It was uh, <laughs> it was kind of not not really planned. I mean, I did watch fishing TV shows. I, I mean, I was probably Bill Dance's biggest fan, Roland Martin. I watched those shows growing up, and uh, but never did I ever think that's going to be me up there one day. Right. I just you know, it was cool to have a fishing show, and I watched fishing and professional wrestling on Saturday morning every <laughs> Saturday when I was growing up. Right. And so um, <laughs> that's uh, that's that's how it started, man. I remember being – I remember when we when Billy and I landed the show, uh, I, I wish I'd have felt like that. I wish I'd have felt like, well, oh, this can't be too hard. I remember in the room, we were at News Channel 8 here in Tampa because that's where we launched our show with them in conjunction with them. It was, it was kind of their idea. We had thought about doing it but really weren't sure about how to put it together and then had a, a buddy who was tied in over there uh, um, and and they were looking for programming. So, you know, they asked us to shoot a pilot. We went and shot a pilot and they loved it and we went through some issues for about two years crazy legal stuff and and once we got over that hump and we had a meeting and we signed these papers and we're with everybody over there at channel eight and they were all fired up everybody's excited hey we're going to finally get to produce this tv show and and i'm sitting at the table and i'm the only one who wasn't up and smiling and excited and i'll never forget billy looked at me and he goes <laughs> he goes dude what's wrong with you i'm like bro we have a tv show we have no idea what we're doing <laughs> we have no clue how to do this I said, I am so terrified now that this is like some huge opportunity and now we got to figure out how to be good at it. You know what I mean? I didn't want to get, I just didn't want to have a TV show for one year. I didn't, you know, I, yeah. I'm like, okay, I, great, awesome. We, we've been working on this for a couple of years and it's finally come to fruition and that's great. We have a TV show. Oh my God, how yeah. do we do? I mean, getting it, you know. I'm with you, man. Oh, dude, it was. I've been terrified for 18 years, Mike. Everything that we, everything that we do and have done, basically has has been like that. Of this kind of born out of this naive thing that you, or or even necessity, like, like, like I mean, even Waypoint, like it's a necessity. But to think that I ever knew anything about. TV was just didn't and yeah. and just like you man terrified yeah I was terrified I, I was I was terrified let's let's see us how you brought it up and I wasn't sure I didn't know um, and I've been now I've been on waypoint TV for 
several years and, and did not know that this was a Tom Rowland deal. Talk to me about Waypoint. Well, and, and I've got some. Yeah, I've got <laughs> other partners. I know you do. But, I, I, uh, again, Way, I, Waypoint was Waypoint was um, was born out of necessity. I mean, I, I don't know if if you felt the same way, but you know, we got we got on YouTube pretty early, and YouTube was really cool. I, th- I thought, man, this is this is great. We put our stuff up here. I saw the potential in it. But one thing that was happening is we would put a show up there. And it would get a lot of views. Like in the early days of YouTube, you could put anything up there and it would get a lot of views. I mean, a lot of views by, by any standard today's standard, or I don't know, by my standard anyway, it was a lot of views. And, but what was happening is we get a call on Monday morning after uploading it on Friday afternoon and like, Hey man, this other company, you know, was advertising across the, the YouTube thing all weekend you got like 300,000 views and, and it was a whole of somebody else's product in front of it. Well, that's gone kind of against the, the whole idea of the sponsorship model of like you're, you're paying for exclusivity. Right. And this is really early in, in YouTube and people didn't really understand how it worked. We didn't understand how it worked. We were like, man, we gotta be able to maybe somehow, you know, protect our sponsors here from, from that because somebody could go in for pennies on the dollar and advertise right in front today. I don't know if anybody even thinks about that, but at, at first it was a big deal. Sponsors didn't like it. We didn't like it. And so we turned off all the advertising. And so nobody could advertise on the channel. We thought, okay, well that's the answer. We'll just turn off all the advertising. But when you turn off all the advertising, YouTube turns off all the views <laughs> and then you kind of get out of the, the algorithm because you're not making anybody any money. You're just up there chewing up bandwidth is, is how I see it. I don't know that that's the case, but sounds about I right. I think it is. And yeah. Sounds, sounds right. Like, yeah. And, uh, so we, you know, things change. We had all of a sudden now you have all these different social media platforms. You've got, you know, new ones taken off all the time. And you know, for somebody that's kind of, you know, getting started in fishing in the last six or eight years, this sounds like you know, prehistoric times, but it really wasn't that long ago no, that no, we no. had, there was nothing but cable TV and um, there weren't that many channels and there was only, there, there really weren't any channels doing 24 um, seven outdoor programming. We had, you know, Saturday morning programming, TNN had, had like a Thursday night block, which would get some really good views and stuff like that. But all of this other stuff is new. And then there started to become more channels, more, more and more channels with outdoor stuff. And then there was 24 seven outdoor channels. And then there was social media and then, you know, more and more different types of social media and Instagram and TikTok and all these different things that come along in addition to YouTube. And, it just became, you know, really, um, television ratings just, just started to, to decline traditional television ratings by Nielsen. You know, we used to be on ESPN and OLN on the same weekend. We'd be on ESPN on Saturday. We'd be on OLN on Sunday and we would do, you know, 
ESPN could easily do 350,000 people on a Saturday. And they could easily do 250,000 on, on Sunday on OLN. And so those are the numbers that we were used to getting. Right. And when, when you started getting more and more channels and more and more social media and everything just started to get more and more diluted, it was harder and harder for people to find, you know, your program. And so YouTube seemed like the answer until we weren't getting this, we weren't having any kind of sponsor exclusivity there. And then when we turned off the ads, we lost all the views. And so for a long time, we were like, man, there's got to be an answer to this. There's got to be a way that we could have a digital place to, for people to watch that you could have sponsor exclusivity. And uh, there wasn't. We looked and looked and looked, high and low, everywhere. And so we thought, well, again, super naive. Well, we'll just build it. We'll do it right? ourselves. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> we'll just build it. <laughs> yeah, like we know anything about building a network. I don't know. I've been it. I've been in the NBC building in, right. in New York. It doesn't look that hard. It's huge. You know, <laughs> we can do that. I mean, that's kind of, you know, I guess I'm an optimist like that, but, but you know, with the digital, with the digital world and you're just seeing, oh, look what you can do with all these different apps and websites and all these different things. Like, it seems like, seems like we could build that. Right. And so somehow we got it, got it off the ground, but Waypoint has, uh, you know, it has really taken on a life of its own um, outside of anything that we we ever forecasted for it. Because since then, there's been there's been a ton of technology that 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 has um, been invented that wasn't there when we first started it, like um, Samsung Plus TV, like Pluto, like sure. uh, Tubi, all of these these other places where when people cut the cable, that's where they're going. Right. And a lot of that didn't even exist when the idea for Waypoint started because so so now it's kind of a, out of necessity again. It's like, oh, look, this is, this is pretty cool. This might be where all the views are. And sure enough, you know, those relationships were made and there are a lot of people that watch on Samsung Plus TV. There's a lot of people that watch Pluto. There's a lot of people that watch those channels in that way until waypoint you know ends up getting the channel there and you know all the producers seem to be very happy with the with the number of, of views that they're getting i know i am yeah i am and, too i'm uh, thrilled i love my waypoint tv yeah yeah so i mean it's been it's been really uh cool to see that and just to see that you know sometimes you do need to kind of alter your plan. I know we were talking the other day about, about fishing tournaments and stuff. And it's like, have a plan and stick to that plan right. and do don't deviate. And you know, like waypoint, had we done that, it's like, we wouldn't have been able to, to grow like it is now. Like the reason it grew is because we had to pivot. We well. had to, um, get on those kind of platforms. That's a different, it's a different, um, you know, in, in the, in the, in the constant, on the context of what we were talking about the other day on, on your podcast where, you know, you're talking about one day or maybe two days, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a plan when, when you get into something like, 
you know, Waypoint TV. I mean, I built an aluminum company here when I got out of the military. I built an aluminum company here that's still open. I'm still a license holder for it. And you don't, there's no way to see over time all the obstacles, all the things you run into, all the, you know, all the gifts that you get to make that company grow. You know, I mean, it's all, so I think in, in, the, in the context of building something ex, ex, as large as Waypoint TV has become, and, and for our listeners, it's waypointtv.com. I talk about it on the radio shows all the time. It's free. All you got to do is go there and you can watch all the best fishing shows on the planet. Um, which I love, and and I think it's I'm I'm, yeah. I'm super. I Plus give my podcast network. Yeah, and the podcasts are there as well. Right. I give myself a little pat on the back every now and then because I I jumped on there when I first got my show and took it away from Channel Eight and took it out on my own. I I jumped in there to the Waypoint thing, and I'm just kind of I don't know. It's just one of those things. I thought I think this is a good idea. I think I should do this. And uh, glad you do. I, I I'm telling you, it worked out really good for me last year when uh, when I got my numbers back from Waypoint. I'm like. Okay. All right. This was a good move. You're smarter than you look, big fella. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's well done. So I think it's, I, I think in anything big like that, you know, and a fishing tournament is such a small period of time. So it's easy to think don't deviate. But I think when you're building something, um, you know, I mean, look at the DVA, even in real animals, you know, where, where Billy was with me for the first seven years and you had a security blanket if you got up on a shoot day and you didn't feel all that great. You know, you could let Billy know on the way to the ramp, hey, I'm not 100%, bro. And and Billy would know, hey, you know, I, I, maybe I got to do a little extra today. I got to carry the big fella today or vice versa. You know, mm-hmm. Billy wasn't feeling well and, you know, hey, yeah. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to be a little funnier than normal. I have to do this and I have to do that, whatever. Billy's not, not feeling up to speed. We got to fight our way through this, you know. So I think there's always, you know, and then Billy ends up not being with me any longer, which is a whole nother long drawn out story. But I mean, just things change, you know, and I think you, you got to be able yeah. to, to move on the fly. And I think with everything you've done, I mean, to, to go out there and produce. So, so, and again, I really think I'm busy. Like I'm busy. I have a, I host Real Animals TV. I've got two radio shows. You know, I've got the podcast. I'm a full-time fishing guide. I got a wife who I super dig. I'm trying to keep her happy. I'm in the gym. I'm like busy. And then I see... Tom Rowland. And I'm like, so you're co-hosting Saltwater Experience. I imagine you guys are dealing with a lot of your own contracts, a lot of your own uh, media buys and all that stuff that we have to go through that no one sees because mm-hmm. fishing on TV is just nothing but fun and fishing. And, and you know, um, nobody sees all the stuff we have to do on the backside. But you're going through all of that, even though you do have a good partner in Rich. Um, you're a fitness guru. <laughs> you get Waypoint off the ground. Then you're just like, I think we'll just produce into the blue as well. We'll just go out and make an offshore show as well as it's probably ever been done with some great captains on it for hosts. We'll just do that too. And then we'll throw in a bass show. Good God, son, where do you find the energy? Well, it, it, (laughs) it didn't happen quite like that. Like in the blue happened before waypoint and, and there was time, you know, it's like, kind of like, I don't know when your kids are really, really tiny and, and, you can't even take your eyes off of them, man. You, you, you just literally can't take your eyes off of them. And then you just, you just can't imagine what that would look like if you could just sit there and talk to them like a regular human being, like, but, but it's there and it's going to happen. But in the moment you can't 
see that into the future because you're so busy and they need, they need your care in every capacity. And then when they get big enough to crawl around, they'll, you know, they're, they'll stick something in the, in an electric socket you, or whatever. <laughs> you gotta watch them even more on them. Like, <laughs> yeah, you gotta. And then, but then one day all of a sudden you can, you look at your wife and you're like, wow, we can breathe a little bit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like I just, like the kids just went to bed on time. Like that's amazing. Like you just, <laughs> you just never imagined that happening. And it's kind of like that with, with saltwater experience, you know, in the beginning, I mean, it was just such an incredible daunting thing. Like we talked about to put together this TV show, but you know, five or six years in start to get in a groove, start breathing again. Yeah. And you, you can start having these conversations with some of the sponsors and they're like, you know, um, like one of the things that happened out of necessity for us is that pretty much when we got on TV, most of the shows, like, like the ones that I really liked, Bill Dance, uh, Roland Martin, Jose, Flip Pallet, pretty much single host format. Right. Pretty much. Yep. And that, that had been, that had been done and they were, and it had been done extremely well. And so here we are. And we have two people. It's me and Rich. Right. And so the big challenge was, how do we do this? And that was one of the things that was so wrong with our pilot is that they're basically trying to duplicate a single host format with two people. And it flopped horribly. It was terrible because now it's like, well, who who are you watching here? What's going on? There was nothing. And so people couldn't wrap their brain around it yet. Yeah, uh, we figured out this way of just sitting at our table and talking about the fishing like the camera wasn't even there. Right. And this was an idea from our producer. And you know what? It it worked. It's worked. worked It's it's worked for a lot of us. You guys were trendsetters because it's worked for a lot of us. Well, that interview format has really taken off. What we were trying to, we weren't doing anything but just, we weren't even trying to be you know, like different than the other shows. We just didn't know any other way to do it. That was just the way that kind of seemed like, well, you know, we've seen this in kind of like 60 minutes kind of format or, or something like that, where you have two people kind of sitting at the table and, and this and that. And, and so maybe it'll work here because the other way flops so badly. Right. And, and so it did kind of work. And then it was kind of interesting because for a long time, you know, the best shows were single host format. So now here comes a show that has two younger people in this different format. So I think it kind of worked. And then we thought, well, if that works, then could we do something similar with offshore? And some of our sponsors were totally behind it. We're like, man, if you can do that with offshore, we're, we're in. And so, you know, Rich had worked for Scott Walker and I knew Steve Roger from Key West and they were two of the best fishermen we knew. We were like, well, I wonder what would happen if we put these two guys together. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, man, they, they, they did great. And again, it was kind of this, this, this interesting, different dynamic that hadn't been seen that much right. uh, of two people kind of doing it now the two two person format is a little more common um maybe it's time to go back to the single host format i don't know 
Like I think that you got to, you know, fresh is good. Unique is good. Um, but, you know, we just kind of, I think, got got kind of lucky that that actually worked. But okay. you see a lot of shows that, that people try things and, and they don't work. And then they try something else and that doesn't quite work. And then they hit it out of the park like Mythbusters. Like, I don't know if you, you know that show, but I do. Yep. those two guys that are on Mythbusters, well, Mythbusters is a grand slam out of the park. But if you're a fan of that network, there's been two or three other attempts at something similar to that that just, for whatever reason, didn't, just didn't quite do it, right? right. It's the same guys, same kind of idea, but it just didn't happen. And then somebody came along and restructured it and, boom, takes off. Right. Right. Like it just, they just did it perfect. And it wasn't, you know, and I think, I think that kind of happened with us too, with the first format just didn't, I think it was a good thing that the first format didn't, didn't work because it told us, okay, well, you have to find somebody pretty talented. that has got some good ideas. <laughs> if we're going to do this, which right. we did. Well, and it's, it's been a, it's been a great run. One of the, one of the best shows in my opinion, uh, on TV, if you're, if you're a fan of fresh water and a fan of the beautiful, I am a little, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, and, and you and I just really kind of started talking, which, uh, which I'm excited about cause I, I've been a fan from, from afar. Um, it, it kind of irritates me a little if I'm not lying, if I'm just shooting at you straight, Tom, and I know you're a gym rat too, and I don't want to wrestle with you. I know you're a high school wrestler and you're strong and I'm a big guy, but I do not want to wrestle with you. Okay. You're out of my weight class, yeah. man. <laughs> I might be, I might be, but just good. I'm glad you think that. Cause I don't, uh, you little wrestler guys make me nervous. So, but I want you to know that with all the respect, again, it's, it's a phenomenal show. I've been a fan of yours and riches for a long time. Um, I'm a little angry that you get to shoot all these shows in the Keys, all right? To me, that's a little BS, okay? That's a little jacked up, bro. I got I to gotta work my tail off. I got to travel all over the place trying to get what you have in your backyard there. That's a little frustrating. So um, with, with that, I don't want to take this on too long. I could talk to you for hours. Um, but I, one more thing I want to talk about real quick before we wrap this up is I want to talk about the Tom Rowland podcast. Being in the being in the radio business for twenty one years, I, I the podcast thing coming on hot and heavy and 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 the reason I started one is because my wife just wouldn't let it go because she was all about the podcast. I love podcasts. How come you don't do a podcast? You're in the radio business. You should do a podcast. You're interviewing people all the time. You should do a podcast. So finally, I was like, baby, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do a podcast. I think it's a great idea. Why don't we do a podcast? So I started doing my homework a little bit on the fishing podcast. And, and if I'm being honest, and it, again, I don't, it, you, you and I don't know each other that well yet, but I, I don't, I just don't have a big ego. So I don't think that I'm great at it. But what I found in the, in the podcast world is to me, there's a lot of, almost anybody can start a podcast, which in my opinion is what's wrong with podcasts. And there's so many people that should absolutely 110% never have a podcast. Like it's terrible. It's terrible. They don't interview well. They don't speak well. They don't talk well. There's, it's not good, period. Now, I'm going through that in my head, and then I ran across the podcast, the Tom Rowland podcast. I'm like, wow, Tom Rowland has a podcast. Let me check out Tom Rowland's podcast. I'm a big fan of his TV show. And the first podcast I got to listen to that I really, that I bit, that I got it, that it, it, it pulled me in 
was a podcast, and you might have done more than one with with Carter Andrews, but the first one was you and Carter Andrews. And Mm -hmm. I was blown away at the conversation. Now, part of it might be that I'm a huge Carter Andrews fan and a huge Tom Rowland fan, so part of that might be my own issues. I'm like, here's two guys that I look up to. You picked a good one. That was a really good podcast. Great you podcast. ask Carter a question. If you if you do it right, you ask Carter a question. You just let him talk because <laughs> right. you know Carter. He he can tell a story. He as well really as anybody can. in the world. Yes, he really can. So you know the way I make sure that that one was going to be good is I just try to keep my mouth shut as much as possible <laughs> and let him talk and just try to go in there with a few interesting questions for him that maybe people hadn't heard about Carter before. And we, you know, Carter and I have a history. Like we, we have a very similar history. We both started in Jackson hole and we both are from Tennessee and we both liked bass fishing enough to think that at one point, maybe we might be a professional bass fisherman, uh, when we grew up and, and, um, you know, so Carter and I have, we know a lot of the same people. We've done a lot of the same type of fishing and then our paths kind of deviate. Like we were both in the great outdoor games together. We were both in the Mad Fin Shark Tournament together. Um, lots of different things. And then he started doing his thing in Panama, and I started doing my thing, you know, on TV. And uh, and we didn't see each other for a long time. And so that was nice to get back there. But I appreciate what you say about about the podcast. I really do. It's um, it a really great podcast. You're I doing think a nice that. Job. Uh, well, it's it's fun, and I really, I really like it. I like to. Um, I, I find that it's it's very different than a TV show. Like, for example, if I wanted to have Carter on the TV show, or there there probably could be all kinds of sponsor conflicts or sure. or whatever. Yep. You know, we got to fish with certain things, and so that pre- prevent or pre- presents all kinds of issues. But let, let's just say I wanted to, I don't know the Goliath grouper thing or, or whatever, like, like they're going to open season on Goliath grouper. Well, if I want to do a TV show about that, that's probably not going to happen until next year. And at that point, it's not going to be interesting to people anymore. And, or even if we filmed it this year, we're full for this year. Sure. And so the, the lag time on TV of having a good idea executing on that good idea and then seeing it actually on TV, it's a long, long, long process, as you know. And the podcast is so different. I mean, I could be, you know, somewhere, meet someone and say, man, that you're, you're really interesting. I would love to talk to you on the podcast. I could do that this afternoon and I could have that published tomorrow. Right. And, I can also, you know, I, I just, I don't have a lot of sponsorship on the podcast and, and I kind of did that on purpose at first. Like, look, I just want to do my own thing here. I just want to, I just want to do this. I just want to, I'll call it the Tom Rowland podcast because I don't want to call it like something associated with fishing because I don't want to talk about fishing all the time. Right. I want to talk about leadership. I want to talk about business. I want to talk about fitness. I want to talk about hunting. I want to talk about whatever is interesting to me. That's what I want to talk about because that's going to make an interesting conversation for people that listen to it. And and I don't want to talk about fishing all the time. I get tired of talking about fishing. <laughs> right. I do too. I get it. Kind of like, like that's all we do. But at the same time, fishing is like super important and it is an underlying theme of the whole thing, of course. Sure. 
and I was going to try to get on all the the legends and all the people that 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 I think have an interesting story, whether that's somebody like Bill Dance or Carter Andrews or somebody like like a guy that that you've never heard of, right? And he's doing an amazing job. Some some guy like Eagle Eye Fred in the Bahamas, right? <laughs> a legendary Bahamian guy that most people have never heard of, right? He's Bimini legend, but most people never heard of him. What's it like growing up over there, being a fishing guide from yeah. 10 years old right. until you're 80, right? Like, yep. seen some stuff. Yeah, I, so I, I like I, I like those stories. It works out. It works out very well. You do a great job. Real quick, tell everybody how they can find Saltwater Experience and the Tom Rowland podcast. Man, there's one stop. You can go to waypointtv.com. That's where all the TV shows live. That, Saltwater Experience, Into the Blue, Sweetwater's there. We got a new show coming out called Life on the Water. That one's gonna gonna happen this uh, next year. We've got Tom Rowland podcast. You can find anywhere you find podcast, or you can go to the dedicated website, Tom Rowland with a W, podcast.com. and uh, you know Instagram and all those other places too. We're we try to be everywhere, I guess. Hopefully we uh, we get caught up here in a couple of weeks at ICAST uh, and uh, get to spend a little time chatting there. I look forward to seeing yeah, you, you, brother. Said you were going to come to the workout. I, I'm, I didn't say I was coming. I said I'd let you know if I was coming. You still have, <laughs> I told my wife that the workout's at 5.30 in the morning. I am an afternoon workout guy, 5.30. <laughs> it's hard to get this big body moving yeah. without a little food in it, Tom. I'm not a good uh, fasting yeah, I, workout I, guy I in the morning, but uh, we'll I see. I'm, I may come just because I'm I'm such a such a big fan of Tom Rowland. I would just want maybe to tell people I worked out with Tom Rowland. That's that would be kind of cool. I'd like to put that there on my go. resume. Well, there'll be a lot of other people there you want to work out with too. I promise I, you. I'm sure. I'm sure. I appreciate you, my brother. And again, I hope to see you here in a couple weeks hey. at ICAST. We can get caught up. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Have a great day. I certainly hope you enjoyed that podcast as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Tom Rowland is is such an interesting guy to me, somebody that I've wanted to have on the podcast uh, for so long. Again, make sure you check out his podcast, the Tom Rowland podcast. It is fantastic, just super well done. Uh, He's a great speaker, great guy, great businessman. He just does everything the right way. So really, really enjoyed that. And again, I hope you enjoyed it as well. Real Animals Podcasts available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, ritampabay.com and Spotify. Please remember to subscribe, rate and review. Uh, we, we try to drop podcasts every Tuesday, maybe every other Tuesday, kind of doing these things in a season. So keep your eyes out for them. They are coming your way. And remember, they are always presented by our good friends at contender boats. Thanks so much for listening. We do appreciate you.